Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. It may have been a bit of a giveaway which character I'm talking about this morning. (laughs) We've been looking at some of the characters from the most gruesome book in the whole Bible, the book of Judges. I think this series should actually have been called Horrible Histories, for anybody who watches the kids' TV show. And we've been looking at these judges to see what God can teach us from their lives. Tim Mackey says of the book of Judges, none of the people in these stories are being offered as moral examples. Because sometimes the danger is when we look at Old Testament characters, their stories are reduced to moralistic tales of, I must try harder to be like this character. But the message of Jesus is that we're rescued by God's grace. Although the book of Judges does function like a giant stop sign that forces us to ask if if we are like any of these characters and how we can make different choices. So today we're looking at one of the most notorious judges of them all, Samson. That's not a picture of Samson, that's a picture from a a recent political magazine, which we're not going to go into this morning. But why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them for 30 seconds what you know about the story of Samson. And if that's nothing at all, that's cool. We're going to look at it together this morning. So turn to the person next to you. What do you know about the story of Samson? The story of Samson is full of sex, violence, death and power. It is just like a summer action blockbuster movie, unless that movie is Barbie, for those of you who've been going to see it. You could summarise it in one sentence like this. Samson, a violent sex-crazed maniac with absolutely no conflict resolution skills, dies in blood and glory getting vengeance on his enemies. And as we've seen through this book of Judges, the children of Israel are stuck in this cycle where they're disobedient to God, which leads them to being conquered. So they call out to God for a deliverer and he sends a judge to rescue them. But what happens? The cycle begins all over again with that key phrase in the whole book, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And I think as we've been going through this series, God has been highlighting in our lives where we have been stuck in our own cycles and trying to set us free. Just quickly, before we jump into the story of Samson, I wanted to address the elephant in the book. Because as we look at the book of Judges, and particularly today, as we look at the story of Samson, we see the judges committing horrible acts of violence, seemingly endorsed and encouraged by God. So can I just say three very quick things? 
The fact that God uses these people does not mean that he endorses all or even any of their actions. God is committed to saving the people of Israel, but all he has to work with is these messed up people and work with them, he does. Secondly, as we've already hinted at, the book of Judges shows us that the Bible is not a book of virtues. It's not just a book of inspirational stories. The Bible is not about following moral examples. It's about a God of mercy and long-suffering who continually works in and through us despite our constant resistance to his purposes. God is the hero of the story who works to rescue his people. And thirdly, and most importantly, it is the cross which reveals what God is truly like. And get this, and what God has always been like. That means that we should read the Bible expecting to find places where God stoops down to bear the sin of his people and thereby takes on the appearance that reflects the ugliness of the sin that he is bearing. Because the ugliness of the sin God is bearing is based on a deeper beauty. And that's his willingness to love us so much that he takes on that sin to the point of allowing himself to be depicted as violent. So let's jump into the year 1120 BC and the story of Samson in Judges chapter 13 to 16. Samson is the last of the judges and he is by first. We've saved the worst till last. Samson didn't lead an army, but he battled the Philistines single-handedly. Now, I can't read you four chapters of the Bible, but my, my, my youngest daughter has been encouraging me on my YouTube channel to do a YouTube short. And I did my first YouTube short this week on an obscure part of immigration law, so don't worry, it's not, it ain't that exciting. But I'm going to try and do a YouTube short version of the story of Samson in 60 seconds. So... Apologies to the Cantonese interpreter. We'll just have to pray for the interpretation. So, Israel does evil in God's sight, and they're handed over to the Philistines for 40 years, which is the longest period in the whole book. And we see the downward spiral, as this time they don't even cry out for mercy. Samson's father was called Manoah, which means rest, which is exactly what Israel lacked at the time. Samson's birth was miraculous to a barren mother. The angel of the Lord visits her and says that the child she will have will be dedicated to the God from birth and will take what's called a Nazarite vow, and we'll come to that in a second, for the whole of his life. The Lord blesses Samson as he grows up, but Samson heads off into Philistine territory. Uh -uh. <laughs> and he wants to marry a Philistine woman <clears throat> because Samson tells his father, echoing the theme of the whole book, she seems right to me in my own eyes. Samson and his parents are then attacked by a lion. So the Holy Spirit descends upon Samson and he rips the lion apart. Later on, while he's on his way to his wedding, he sees the lion's carcass and he sees some bees had made some honey in the carcass. So he scoops it out, eats it, gives it to his parents. But again, he's breaking his vow because that food would have been unclean. 
So Samson gets to his wedding and he decides to set his groomsmen a riddle based upon the honey incident. But the groomsmen can't figure out the riddle. So what do they do? They threaten Samson's wife. So Samson's wife wears him down, so ultimately he gives her the answer. But Samson is now in a rage and he kills 30 Philistine men and heads back home. Later, Samson decides, "Mm, well, actually, I think I'd quite like to sleep with my wife. So he goes back to see her, but she's been given to another. So again, Samson's in a rage. What do you do when you're Samson in a rage? You catch 300 foxes, you tie them together in pairs with a lit torch between each pair, and you burn the entire Philistine harvest. The Philistines are furious, so they burn Samson's wife and her father to death. Samson therefore kills many Philistines. So the Israelites try and think, well, how do we sort this out? I know, we'll hand Samson over to the Philistines. But Samson breaks free and kills a thousand of them with the jawbone of an ass. Literally an assassination. Um, I'm here all week. Come on. Samson becomes Israel leader for 20 years. But then he's back on Philistine territory. And what's he doing this time? He's sleeping with a Philistine prostitute. So the Philistines gather to kill him and he rips up the city gates of Gaza and carries them 40 miles all the way to Hebron. Then Samson falls in love with the third Philistine woman of our story, Delilah. The Philistine leaders pay her to find out Samson's secret. And again, like his wife, Delilah wears Samson down to the extent that he tells her the secret of his strength and she shaves off Samson's hair. He's captured by the Philistines who gouge out his eyes for good measure. Samson is put in prison, but over time, the Bible says, his hair grew back. Then the Philistines held a celebration to their god Dagon and they bring out Samson to make fun of him. Samson turns to God and literally brings the house down. He pushes the two pillars down, killing, uh, causing the building to collapse, killing the Philistines, the people and himself. Samson's family come for his body, take him home and bury him and breathe. I want to quickly look at three key verses from Samson's story and see how it calls us to be set apart for God. So firstly, Samson set apart, Judges chapter 13, verse 7. But he said to me, you will become pregnant and will have a son. Don't drink wine or beer or eat anything that is unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from his birth until the day of his death. So the angel of the Lord, which some scholars believe is the pre-incarnate son of God, comes to Samson's mother and tells her that Samson is to be a Nazarite to God from birth until his death. The word Nazarite comes from the word Nazir, which literally refers to a crown on your head. It's about being consecrated or dedicated to God. And Nazarites would give a vow to God and promise to set themselves apart for a specified period. And their vows are listed in Numbers chapter six. 
They were not to have alcohol, not even to have grapes or even raisins. They're not to cut their hair or go near a dead body. And Samson was a special case because his vow was lifelong. And at that time, long hair was an unmistakable symbol of consecration to God. And the principal ritual that marked the end of the vow was the cutting of the hair, and they would then burn it. And actually, if you read the book of Acts, you see in Acts 21, some of Paul's companions doing a Nazarite vow. And the angel says, because you will become pregnant, this is verse five, and have a son, you must never cut his hair because he will be a Nazarite given to God from birth. He will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. And the Lord's design for Samuel paralleled his design for Israel. Israel was intended to be holy because their God was holy. But their subsequent history and lack of faithfulness to their calling was matched by Samson's career as he disobeyed every single one of those vows made on his behalf. You know, today, as Samson was called to be set apart for God, God has called us to be set apart on a mission for him. Let me take you to 1 Peter in the New Testament and imagine God saying these words to us this morning. But you are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. At one time you were not a people, but now you are God's people. In the past you'd never received mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, you are like foreigners and strangers in this world. I beg you to avoid the evil things your bodies want to do that fight against your soul. This morning, we are the Nazarites. We are the consecrated ones. If you're comfortable, turn to the person next to you and say, you are a Nazarite. <laughs> now, turn back to them and say, don't worry, you can get a haircut. <laughs> don't tell them they need a haircut. That's not, that's not what I asked you to do. Today, what does it look like to be set apart for God. How does that look like in our daily lives on a Monday morning? In work, how does it look for me to be a lawyer set apart for God? In family, how does it look like for me to be a father set apart for God? In relationships, how does it look like to be a friend, a neighbor set apart for God? Samson was full of God's favor and the Holy Spirit was upon him. In Judges chapter 13, and you'll, you'll get some echoes as I read this verse. So the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. The spirit of the Lord began to work in Samson while he was in the city of Manana Dan, between the cities of Zorah and Eshetol. But Samson treated his vow with a casualness amounting to contempt. Tim Keller says this, Samson is impulsive. He's a completely sensual man in the most basic definition of the term. His senses control him. 
He reacts to how he feels and what he sees without reflection or consideration. And notice Samson was blessed by the Holy Spirit when he was in the right place. He was from the tribe of Dan and he was blessed by God whilst he was there. Where do we find Samson get in trouble? When he's wandered off into Philistine territory, when he's in the wrong place, it's there that Samson ends up in the wrong relationships which lead to death and destruction. Isn't that the case with us too? We get ourselves in trouble when we're in the wrong place, the wrong situation, the wrong relationships. Today, do we find ourselves in the wrong places and situations? Are we like Samson, controlled by our impulses? God is calling us back to our mission, back to the right place where he wants us to be, back to our identity as a royal priesthood. Remember that word, a crown on your head, a chosen people, God's treasured possession set apart for him. Secondly then, Samson's strength gone. One of the most haunting verses of the Samson story is after he's told Delilah the secret of his strength and she shaved off, uh, shaved off his hair. Judges chapter 16 verse 20 says this. Then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he awoke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson had grown confident in his own invulnerability, telling even to the extent of telling Delilah the secret of his strength. And notice those words, I'll escape, I'll set myself free. Tim Keller says this, it's truly strange that Samson didn't leave after telling Delilah the truth. Instead, he went to sleep on her lap. Why? Because he didn't really believe that his hair or his Nazarite vow was the source of his strength. He had come to believe that his strength was simply his, that no matter what he did or how he lived, he would not lose it. Samson wakes up and thinks he can do as he's done before but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. We need to pause there and let that sink in. We never want to get to the point where the presence of God leaves us and we don't even realize it. Samson's rude awakening is a wake-up call for us today. As we read the story of Samson, we see the Holy Spirit in Samson to do mighty acts but we mustn't confuse the gifts of the Holy Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit. And Samson did not have the fruit of the Spirit evident in his life. Because the fruit of the Spirit is the sign of God's character in our lives. Artie Kendall says there is nothing sadder than the gifts manifesting without the fruit. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22. But the fruit the Spirit produces Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, I know God has gifted me 
in the area of speaking or teaching. Some of you may be questioning that right now, but, <laughs> but my ability to preach a good talk is not the sign of the state of my heart. A truer sign is, am I growing in love? Do I have more joy? And I can hear my vo daughter's voices calling me grumpy at that point. <laughs> am I more patient? Samson had the power of God, but he didn't have the character to match. We need both gifting and character. Samson may have been big on the outside, but he wasn't big on the inside. I'm sure you've heard the story of the girl who went to the fair and she was dying for candy floss. So she bought this giant ball of candy floss and her dad said to her, darling, how are you going to manage that? And she replied, don't worry, daddy, I'm bigger on the inside. The fruit is the picture of Jesus and it calls us to more Christ-like lives. Today, the story of Samson challenges us to prioritize the character of God in our lives. How do we do that? Well, the Bible talks about us, about us abiding in the vine. What does that mean? It means about having a vital connection to God, seeking to walk in step with him in community, one with another. Samson walked in the opposite direction. And if you read his prayers, he didn't really have a vital connection to God. As we read that 16 verse 20 today, it challenges us that we don't want to wake up one day thinking we can just go on living as we please, not realizing that the Lord has left us and our strength has gone. Finally, Samson seeing clearly. So Samson is captured and his eyes are gouged out by the Philistines who imprisoned him. You know, it's our, our eyes and what we look at that often get us into trouble. And actually having his eyes gouged out actually removed a source of trouble for Samson. I don't know if you watched that. It's about out in 2013, the Bible TV series, which is on YouTube now. But in the, in the episode that covers Samson, at this point he says, I can see God clearer now. The loss of Samson's physical sight opened his spiritual eyes. And Samson's hair grows back. This was a new start. It was a new beginning of being set apart for God. I love the fact that our God is into fresh starts. Do we need a fresh start with God today? Is it time to grow our hair back? Do we need to consecrate ourselves afresh to God today? And in Judges chapter 16, verse 28, the final verse I want to look at is this. It says this, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again, O God. Please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. This is the first time in the story we see Samson praying before he uses his strength. Now his strength is dependent upon his faith in God. He's no longer living in his own strength. And notice how he addresses God. In your Bible, in English, it will say sovereign Lord. But the phrase in Hebrew is Adonai Yahweh, which means master, covenant-keeping God of Israel. Samson is acknowledging God as the master and Lord of his life. 
For some of us today, we may never have accepted God as the Lord and master of our lives. Today, our next step may be to come to Father God and to bring your kingdom unto the rule and reign of the King of Kings. But for other of us, we may have been on a bit of a Samson journey. And for us, we need to come to God afresh and say, I want to set myself apart to you as Lord and Master. You know, there's a, a chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 11, which is the, the great heroes of the faith. And Samson actually makes it into the Hall of Fame. But interestingly, he comes in verses 32 to 34 of Hebrews 11, which is the list of those who were made strong out of weakness. Samson had been humbled. He'd seen his weaknesses. Yet this was the moment of his greatest strength, to do what was actually spoken about before his birth and to begin to rescue the people. In the end, Samson clearly recognizes his dependence on God. And when he died, God turned his failures into defeat. Uh, sorry, his failures and defeats into victory. And Samson's story teaches us that it's never too late to start again. However badly we may have failed in the past, today it's not too late to put our trust fully in God. Why don't the band make their way back up? You know, Samson's story is a tragic one. Yet as you read the accounts of his birth and his early life and his death, you cannot help but hear echoes of Jesus. Jesus was far greater than Samson living up to his great potential and living faithfully to the Father to the very end. Jesus gave his life like Samson to defeat his enemies. But Jesus' death was the perfect sacrifice that set us free. And even as you read about Samson's death, it's a bit about revenge in the end, isn't it? Um, with Samson's death, his rule, his time of being a judge, was over. But Jesus, as we sang this morning, rose again and defeated death so that we today, here, right now, can live in his resurrection power under his eternal rule. Let's stand together. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.